Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 50. If you're unfamiliar, if the, the Bible's a relatively new book to you, uh, that's okay. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible, and this is the last chapter in the book of Genesis. So I want to go ahead and get started by reading. We're just going to be reading one verse primarily this morning, and that's Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where it says, As for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we are uh, grateful, uh, God, that we can glorify you. Uh, No matter what situation that we're in, no matter what circumstances or place that we find ourselves in in the, the elements that we're surrounded with, God, whether they be good, bad, or indifferent by our definition, Please give us the perspective that everything that we do, everything that we go through, is an opportunity for us to glorify you while going through that. Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we talk about your word, as we learn lessons from it and examine it. I pray that you would uh, anoint the ears of the hearers, that uh, they could uh, receive your word, that it would be, uh, be challenging, it would be comforting. And it would be convicting because your word does all of those. Father, I pray right now that you would allow your Holy Spirit to speak through me. Give give my voice your words this morning and remove as much of my words as possible. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to ask for some participation this morning. So I would would like to see some some hands because I know we're, we're going to hit a few people here this morning. How many of you in here have siblings? Like you are not the only child. How many of you may see? All right, go ahead and put them back down. How many of you feel, now this is going to be an honesty question right here. I want to test your transparency. How many of you feel like you are the favorite child? Okay, there's, there's a couple. There's a couple. Now I'm seeing, I'm seeing some hands up there that I know for a fact that you're the youngest child. So how many of you are older siblings and know that you're not the favorite child? All right, all right. And now let's, let's have another honesty question. How many of you at times just look at your siblings and want to choke them? A lot of hands going up a lot, very quickly right there, okay? All right, good deal. I, I, it, see, it's confession. It's good for the soul. It, it, you know, it, Tears down barriers for us. This morning we are continuing in our Love Works series, and we're looking at how biblical love works, God's love, how it works in restoration. As Carrick said last week, we talked about Peter. Uh, We talked about Peter's denial of Christ. We looked at the story of Peter and why that section of when Jesus asked him three times if he loved him, why that was such an important moment for Peter. This week, we're going to be looking at Joseph. This is the words of Joseph to his brother, 
to his brothers that we're going to find out why this particular scripture is such a big deal. Kind of like what we did last week with Peter. We looked at kind of the pinnacle statement and the pinnacle moment of the story, and then we went back to figure out why this was so important. Joseph was the youngest son of Israel, of Jacob. He was the youngest of 12, and he was by far the favorite of his father Israel. Okay, Now we can look and we can see where there's not really good parenting techniques that Israel implements here as, as a father, but we're not going to concentrate on those. We're going to look at the story of Joseph. It picks up in Genesis chapter 37, and his story basically goes through the chapters of Genesis 37 through 50. Takes a little bit of a break and talks about something else in chapter 38, but it's 37 through 50. We are introduced to Joseph as a 17-year-old teenager who has prophetic dreams. But we're also introduced to him as his father's literal favorite son to the point that it says that he gave him a coat of many colors. Okay? Or some translations will say highly ornamented. Okay? I'm sorry this is a Sunday school spoiler alert, but it's most likely not a rainbow kind of colored robe. I know that's kind of what we think. But it's not. It's a highly ornamented. Yeah, starting off strong, Kim. Starting off strong this morning. Highly ornamented robe. And Joseph is given these dreams by God. Keep that in mind as we go through this. The prophetic dreams, the dreams that he is given, are from God. Now, I want to introduce to you how many of you, and some of you are maybe around that age or not, there yet, but for those of us that are a little bit past the age of 17, how many of you remember being 17 years old? Was there a great amount of wisdom that you had at 17 years old? I mean, you, you thought you had it, but you look back now and you're like, <laughs> bless my mama, bless her heart. It's one thing to be a 17-year-old who has prophetic dreams from God. And then it's a completely different thing to be a 17-year-old who has prophetic dreams from God and knows when to just shut up about it. Joseph did not possess that level of discernment of when to talk about it and when not to. So he has this. Again, he's, he's kind of a tattletale. We find out in this scripture that, that Israel sends him out to check on his other brothers and then come back in and tell him what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, we got some siblings now I'm seeing going, it's the tattletale syndrome is what it is. And listen, Kim and I, I, I can't speak from experience. We have Rachel. We weren't able to have any, any more, so we only have uh, the, the, the one child. But I have seen a pattern in, in, in some parents' lives, and I'm seeing it in my nieces right now. Uh, she has got two little ones expecting a third, and it's like this super protective first one. You know, It's just like, oh, everything's got to be, the environment's perfect and everything. And the middle one, you're kind of like, eh, okay. All right, yeah. No, no, you probably shouldn't do that, but, you know, it hit the ground. It really didn't land that long, so it should be okay. And then the third one, they're out playing in traffic. The cars will probably stop at some point. It's fine. It's fine. But here we have the youngest, and we have the favorite. And a favorite that the secret is not well kept that he is the favorite. 
And with this knowledge that you are the favorite and that punishment is probably not going to be as harsh, if at all, there is a level of boldness that you take with your siblings. So Joseph was having these dreams, and in the dreams, it was basically that all of his brothers were one day going to bow down to him. Like he was going to rule over every one of them, and they were going to bow down to him. Now, siblings in here, imagine your younger sibling, the little tattletale, the one you would like to choke, coming to you, standing up, and boldly proclaiming, you want to know what God told me? I had a dream. And guess what? I had two of them. You want to know what happened? You shall bow down to me. So if the dad's in the picture, the brothers are just kind of sitting there going, "Mm mm-hmm. You just wait till he's gone. So we find out that he's, he's been given this highly ornamented robe. The little tattletale decides that now he's going to be sharing dreams. And also, his father sends him out on another errand to tell him, says, go check on your brothers in the field, see what they're doing, then bring a report back to me. So the brothers, I can just see them. It, it, you know, here he comes hop-skipping along to the sound of music, and you know, he's going to see the wizard and all that happy stuff. They see him coming from a distance And you can just hear just the, ugh, coming from the brothers. Well, at this point, they've had enough. And they decide it's time to get rid of this this little problem. So they plot to kill him. And they wind up throwing him into a cistern. Well, the cistern was dry. So there was no water for him, him to drown in there. But he's dry. And they said, aha, here's what we're going to do. We've come up with a plan. We're going to throw him in there. We're going to strip him of this highly ornamented robe. We're going to put animal blood on it, and we're going to take it back to our father, and we are going to tell him that the animals got Joseph, that we discovered this. So they put him in the cistern. They're they're hatching their plan. It's in motion. They begin to leave, but then they see an opportunity to take another step. Long story short, he's sold into Egyptian slavery. They go back, they, they do the plan with the coat, they get the blood, they rip it a little bit like there's been an animal attack, and they tell their father that's what's happened to Joseph. It's not necessarily the end of the story for them, but there's a really good length of pause there for the brothers and for the parents. Because, end of story, right? I mean, grief obviously sets in, but it's kind of end of story for them, but it's not for Joseph. So Joseph is sold into Egyptian slavery, and he ends up in the house of a, of a government official, a ruler by the name of Potiphar. So he goes and he serves in the house of Potiphar, and he serves so well that he finds favor in his eyes. And he's elevated within the household. He's elevated with responsibility, with trust, with his character, with all of these things. He's finding favor more and more and more. And apparently, Joseph was a fairly handsome young man because we read that Potiphar's wife was trying to do not so great things with Joseph. And we kind of have in our mind as we learn this lesson, it it only happened the one time. We know that it happened for sure twice, and probably more frequently than that. But finally, in one instance, she tries to seduce him 
He says no and begins to run away, and she basically rips the cloak off of him. Now, again, he is still a slave. With as much favor as he has found, he is still a slave. And now, the woman who's used to getting her way is not getting her way. And she's not happy about that. So she goes to her husband, goes to Potiphar, and says, Your servant Joseph tried to rape me. Here, here is his cloak. It's ripped. See, this is what's happened. And if there were any eyewitnesses to him coming running out, it's not good for Joseph because he's coming out of the place where they were alone and his cloak is missing. So what winds up happening is that he gets thrown into prison. They find him guilty even though he wasn't, and he's thrown into prison. While he's in prison, Pharaoh had a couple of his servants that were thrown into prison also that were there with Joseph. And during this time, those two had a couple dreams that needed interpreted. And they asked Joseph, they like, hey, can you interpret these dreams? And Joseph went, hey, I can't, but I serve a God who can. So he interprets their dreams for them. And when they get released, Joseph is very adamant in saying, please remember me when you're in front of Pharaoh. When you are in his company, please remember me. Well, time goes on, time goes on, still nothing, still nothing. They've forgotten about Joseph. And then Pharaoh has a dream. Has a couple dreams, actually. And all of his enchanters, all of his diviners, all of his wise men, all of these magicians and, and dream interpreters come to, uh, the, into Pharaoh's place, and he's asking them to help him um, interpret these dreams. And none of them can do it. And he's getting frustrated that no one, that no one can interpret these dreams. And then these two servants were like, aha, wait a minute. We remember this guy that we were in prison with. He interpreted our dreams, and he could probably interpret yours. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph, brings him, and he says, I was told that you can interpret my dreams. Joseph again says, I can't, but I serve a God who can. So Pharaoh gives him both dreams, tells him about both dreams. And Joseph says, both of your dreams mean the same thing. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to have seven years of plenty, and then you're going to have seven years of extreme drought. So what you need to do is you need to appoint someone who is wise and discerning over this area. It would basically be like a commissioner of agriculture type thing that we would relate it to. Who could come up with a plan on how to sustain your nation through the seven years of drought. So, hey, oh, that's a good idea. You're the guy. So basically, the favor on Joseph's life got him to the place that he was second in command in all of Egypt, only answerable to Pharaoh. The seven years come, he develops a system that puts back uh, plenty for the seven years of drought. Well, the drought didn't just affect Egypt during those seven years. It affected other nations as well, including Joseph's family. So what they find themselves doing is once they run out of food, they go to Egypt to seek help. Whenever someone came in to ask for help, they didn't go to Pharaoh. They went to Joseph. 
So now I want you to think about this for just a moment. Joseph went from a place of practical royalty in his family. Then his brothers threw him into a pit, sold him into slavery, rose again in favor in the eyes of man, only to be falsely accused but wound up in a prison. Then after years spent in a prison, the gift of God was enabling him to once again rise in favor with man and with the country. And now, all of this stuff, all of these ups and downs, all of these unforeseen things, all of these things that were beyond the control of Joseph, everything that's happened in his life is now coming towards him, the cause of this. The ones who are guilty of putting him into this place are now coming to him for help. Last week we talked about how Peter... Peter kind of was the reason for his downfall, right? His denials. It was Peter's fault. The restoration that he needed was something that he had brought on himself. And Now granted, we know that at 17 years old, Joseph probably didn't use the most wisdom in mocking his brothers. But please, please, if you are a sibling and you have someone in your sibling group who just tattletales on you that is the favorite, please do not throw them into a cistern. I'm not, I'm not recommending that. Even though he did these things, he still didn't deserve to be sold into slavery. In Potiphar's house, he was innocent. He didn't deserve to wind up in prison. But it happened. So see, it's kind of the opposite of Peter in some ways that Joseph found himself needing to be restored multiple times and it wasn't his fault. You see, sometimes in our lives we'll need restoration for our own foolish decisions and our own foolish actions. But sometimes, because we live in a sin-filled world that's fallen, we will need restored by God and it's not our fault, maybe even in the slightest. So here we have this moment to where he got, and, and this is one of those like streaming services that I hope that heaven has that I want to sit down and see this moment because they come in front of Joseph and it says that Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And Joseph kind of milks this story. I mean, he milks this situation because they were even talking to Joseph through an interpreter. Like he was, even though he was understanding every word that they said, he was acting like he didn't. And then finally, he reveals himself to them. He says, you know, they were asking, and, and there's part of the story where they say that they have another, you know, they have a younger brother, uh, but they, you know, they didn't bring him along. And he says, okay, go bring the other brother. And if you show me that he's your younger brother and that he's alive and doing well, then I'll help you. He does all of these things, but then he finally reveals himself, and obviously his brothers are, are afraid, right? I mean, here you have this man, this brother, whom you thought, you, you didn't know what happened to him. You probably assume he's dead at this point, but now not only is he alive, but he's in a place where he can have you executed. He can have you punished. He can deal out his own justice. But Joseph doesn't do that. 
And once Pharaoh learns of it, and this is the situation, he says, go send for your whole family and bring them. Like probably around 70-some of his family. Talk about a family reunion. You know, how many crazy uncles is that? You know, with like 70-some people coming back in. But Pharaoh brings them in, invites them into Egypt, and they're well taken care of. Joseph's entire family. Then it gives us the record that Israel, Joseph's father, sat down in his bed, drew his feet into the bed, and he passed away. At that point, his brothers become even more fearful. And there's a passage in here that we, I don't know if it's actually accurate as far as Israel saying it or not. It sounds like a scheming brother statement to me, but I could be wrong. He could have actually said it. But they said, our father, on like his last request, kind of dying wish kind of thing, uh, was really hoping that, uh, yeah, you'd forgive us. You know, surely you want what dad wants, right? So we don't know if that was actually spoken by Israel or not. But that's what they tell him. And then we see this response. I want to read verse 19 with this too, and then I'll reread verse 20. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Think about that statement for just a moment. Am I in the place of God? Maybe that's a question we need to ask ourselves sometimes when we're dealing with situations, when we're dealing with people, when we're dealing with things that we don't like. You know, we get that self-righteousness and we feel like we know what's best in the situation and we know what we need to do and how we should react. Maybe sometimes before we make a statement like this, we need to ask ourselves, am I God? Joseph had this powerful perspective for am I in the place of God? But then he says, as for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You know, we see a New Testament parallel to this as well. Romans 8, 28, for God works all things for the good for those who love him and those that are the called to his purpose. Saying the same thing. But I love this phrasing that Joseph uses. But God. But God. My friends, don't be mistaken. God will have the final say. And regardless of whether it's a situation you're enjoying or not, know that it will turn out for good. Struggle that we have is sometimes our definition of good doesn't match the definition of of God's definition of good. Think about Joseph. From the pit to the prison to the palace. Now again, restoration is not always going to look like us being second in control of a nation. Sometimes God will do that. We saw last week he didn't with Peter. Peter died a horrible death. Horrible martyred death that Christ told him about in the restoring process but it will always work for your good and his glory. And that's what it's about. That's what this Christian life is all about. Christian life isn't about you. 
Christian life isn't about me. It's about bringing glory to God in everything, in all situations, whether we like it, whether we hate it, whether we could care less about it, whatever. In every situation, our responsibility is to bring glory to God. I know that's a tough perspective to have. Well, you see, I've got this, this family member who's sick. Am I supposed to be thankful that they're sick? No. No, don't be thankful that they're sick, but be thankful that you get the opportunity to glorify God through that situation. I'm having financial troubles. Am I supposed to be thankful that I'm having financial troubles? No, but be thankful that you get a chance to honor and glorify God through that situation. We just had one of the worst storms in the history of our area. Should, are you telling me we need to be thankful for this storm? No, don't be thankful for the storm. But be thankful that God gives you the opportunity to glorify him through this situation. You see, what the enemy wants to do, and what I find absolutely fascinating, is the enemy wants to strip us of external things to try to, to get us and derail us from the true purpose of glorifying God. Let me explain. Joseph's favor was first found in his highly ornamented robe. His brothers stripped him of that. See, they were trying to strip away externally what God wound up using internally. Joseph's dreams weren't wrong. The ones he says that you're going to bow down to me, they were in a position where they needed help and they bowed down to Joseph. The dream was not wrong. The person that it was filtered through didn't have wisdom and discernment at that point. You see, the giftings and the callings of God are irrevocable. But that doesn't always mean that we handle them the way that we need to handle them or the way that God wants us to handle them. Look at Job. Job was stripped, and this is one of the oldest stories in the history of mankind. I don't know if you realize that or not because of the placement and the way that the, this, the book of Job is found in the Old Testament, but it's towards the very beginning of our history. And we see that everything was taken from Job. What was, in, what was the enemy's purpose in taking everything, stripping everything away from Job? He was trying to get him to curse God. He was trying to take everything away from me externally to focus, shift his focus internally, and Job wouldn't. Think about Jesus. When he was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, he was saying, if you will just bow down and worship me, everything that you see will be yours, will be given to you. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. That's still the same trick of the enemy. He tries to take the highly ornamented robe or the things that we put on as our identity. He tries to strip the external happiness, the external joys, the external sources that we have away from us because he knows that if those things are stripped away, then our tendency is to turn and look at God and go, why? Your enemy cannot touch what God has put inside of you. That gifting, that calling, that purpose, that placement, that thing that he has for you in your life, the enemy cannot touch that, but he will try to take everything else away from you to get your focus off of that. All things. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and those that are called.
by his purposes. But you, you meant it as evil against me. But God meant it for good. What situations in your life that you're facing right now do you need to remind yourself, but God? Two three-letter words, but very few more powerful words. But God. So what are some takeaways? What, what, is, what is some practical application that we can have in our lives in this restoration of Joseph? What can we, what can we do? Understand, um, you're not Joseph. Okay, Don't put yourself into the position of saying, God wrote this story about Joseph because this is me. This is, you're not Joseph. Uh, and just so I can say it for you Matt Chandler fans out there who know what I'm getting ready to say, you're not David either. Okay, You're not David. David and Joseph both were a type of Christ, which meant that they had characteristics, God did things through their lives because all of the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ, period. So we see similarities in, 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 in this foresight and this, this futuristic insight into what the Messiah is going to be. But there are things in his life that we can learn things from, application that we can put in. And the first thing, Please know that you don't have to understand everything. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be really honest. I'm going to make a, a, what might, might sound like a fairly harsh statement. But I mean it with love. And it, it, You cannot live an authentic Christian life while expecting to understand everything at the same time. It's not going to happen. God, give us the peace that passes all understanding. You've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. Like Harry Brown used to say, I'm going to tell you a story. If you've, heard me, if you've already heard this, don't stop me because I want to tell it again. You cannot experience the peace that passes all understanding without first forfeiting your right to understand everything that happens. You can't experience the peace that passes all understanding without first forfeiting your right to understand everything. Secondly, trust God. Trust God. Now, I, there would have almost had to be moments in Joseph's life where he would have had to question What's going on here? God, why am I going through this? What's happening? What's the purpose? What's, what's, what is this? But ultimately, in the end of every situation in Joseph's life, he trusted God. He didn't understand, but he trusted. He wasn't happy, but he trusted. He, he may not have even been content, but he trusted. And we, you and I, need to trust God also. And then thirdly, and lastly, probably the most challenging for us, do not allow yourself to be given over to bitterness. Do not allow yourself to be given over to bitterness and unforgiveness.
you meant it as evil against me. But God meant it for good. I want to ask for another show of hands. How many of you have been hurt by someone in your past? Now, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up on, on this next part, but how many of you can say that you have totally forgiven that person? It's tough, isn't it? I, can't, I, I honestly cannot tell you that if I'd have been put into Joseph's position that I would have looked at the ones who put me in all of these hardships all of these trials, all of these positions in my life that I did nothing to bring on, I cannot tell you that I would have known for a fact that I would have handled it the exact same way. But you know what? There was a perspective that Joseph had. And those two words reveal to us that perspective. But God. You don't make that kind of statement unless you've been focusing on God. You don't make that kind of statement in the face of the opportunity. Can you think about how many times in his life he has dreamt of this moment? While he was in that cistern, while he was sold into slavery to Potiphar, when he was in that prison cell, when he was rising to power in Egypt, think about how many times Joseph's fleshly natural mind would have gone back to this moment of being able to bang the gavel of judgment against his brothers, against his accusers, against the ones who were guilty of everything that he had been punished for, ready to strike judgment and condemnation down on them. But what does he say but God. That means that his focus and his perspective was on God and not on what he had, what he had or what had been taken away from him. I want to ask the praise team if they would to come up at this point. Verse 19 again, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Here's the last practical thing that I want to encourage you with this morning. So we're going to give up our right to understand everything, because we can't. It's not meant for us to. We're going to trust God explicitly in every situation, whether good, bad, or indifferent. And we're not allowing unforgiveness and bitterness to take hold of us. The last thing I want to encourage you with is do not give up and lose courage on the gift that God has given you. Because we learn in the story of Joseph, the very gift that got him in trouble to begin with is the very gift that restored him. Just because you may not have the wisdom or discernment in your youth or even now at your level of maturity to utilize the gifting of God properly on your life, do not let the enemy convince you that just because you step out, you fall, you stumble, that God is through with you and that, God, that gifting was not of God because the gifting that got Joseph in trouble was the very gift that restored him. He had prophetic dreams and he relied on God to give the interpretation of those dreams. And it saved nations. 
God does not just bless you so that you can be blessed. God never intended us to be a cul-de-sac blesser. God blesses us so that we can bless others. He chose the nation of Israel and blessed them so that they could be a blessing to other people. He chose Joseph and blessed Joseph, and he became a blesser of nations. Do not let your blessing stop with you because God wants to use that blessing that he's given to you, that gift that he's given to you, he wants to bless others with that.